I'm really excited to be able to share this message with you today. I think that, uh, that God has something absolutely profound for us today. As, as I was uh, going around the facility and praying and, and just asking God what he wants to do here, I just sensed that, that God's spirit is here to touch us and to move us. Do you guys agree? Yes. Can, can we just pray and invite the Lord to speak to us today and also choose to open up our hearts to what he has to say? Lord, we just come before you and I pray, God, that you would speak to us. I, I sense that, that you are right here, that you desire to move, that you desire to bring healing and wholeness and life and truth to us. And Lord, I don't know what's in, what, what might be in the way for me, but I know that there are things doubt and fear and maybe anger, maybe unforgiveness, Lord, and uh, and maybe for others too. We just pray that we'd be able to open up our hearts to you right now. We open up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is called Paul's Closing Argument. And, uh, you know, I I love, how many of you guys watched Law and Order? I think it might be still on. But that was like my favorite show because I I like the police part. But my favorite part was the second half of the show, which was always a courtroom drama. And uh, courtroom dramas are fun. There's always surprises. There's always things that happen that, that just keep you on the edge of your seat. And then, then there's these closing arguments with these great orators, that of which I am not. However, Juan told me that he is going to teach me how to sing that song. So Jody, I just want you to know, <laughs> you're in trouble now. Juan said he could teach anyone, so... <laughs> Boy, that was a good song, wasn't it? Oh, that was so awesome. But I, I love these courtroom dramas because in the end, it, it's this culmination of everything. All the details, all the work that was done by all the different policemen and detectives, it all comes together. And usually, almost always, you know, the criminal gets nailed. And you just, you just love to see the truth come out and, and that criminal uh, get what he deserves. And man, I just love those dramas. And that's kind of where we are right now. This is Paul's closing argument. He's been arguing for a little bit in the book of Colossians. And now I'm going to review a little about that so that we can kind of move forward with this closing argument. Paul's under house arrest, and he can't go visit the Colossians. But he's very concerned about them. He is concerned about them, and he even says it, that he is how, how hard he is contending for them. And, and, and so within the context of that, he is trying to write this letter to be able to guide them and protect them from some of the things that are happening because really a crime has been committed. And we're going to look at that crime in just a minute. Uh, that crime is related to the fact that truth brings freedom and life and lies brings death and bondage. That's what this is all about. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about, is that lies brings death and bondage, but the truth of God brings freedom and life. Amen? So why is this important to us? You know, I just, I just remember in my life the, the lies that have been spoken to me and that I've received, things that really caused me to, to really go into a spiral. Did that ever happen to you? 
You kind of spiral out of control. I know it happens on a regular basis for, for people that the enemy tries to speak those lies, but we have to know that, that we do have this enemy, the devil, and that he does speak his native language, which is lying, and that we have a way out, and that way out is the truth of the word of God. And so we, we want to remember that because that spiraling is so damaging to our souls. For me, one of the things that spiraled me out of control was that, you know, it's okay to do drugs. Man, that, that killed me. I can't tell you what that did to me for several years, just doing cocaine and, and, and other drugs. They just kind of brought me to a place of death. And it was at that, that, that very lonely place of death. I remember I was in Los Angeles at the time. I was, I was acting and I was working in a restaurant, which is exactly what you're supposed to do if you're an actor. And, and I, w- I was there and I was at the edge of my bed and I said, I just can't do this anymore. And it was right at that moment that the love of God and the grace of God came in. But it was f- probably four years of listening to that lie, that deception about drugs and about my life and, and how I can't follow God because of, of things that are in my heart. Can you guys relate? So this is the center of Paul's argument. It it says in Colossians 2, we're just going back just a little. It says, my goal, Paul's goal, is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. We talked about that over the last few weeks. The mystery of God is God himself. Amen? In us. What an incredible thing that is. And, and then he says, and, and he qualifies that in, in a way that is so powerful and so truthful. He says, the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden some of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. No, that's wrong. It's all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Not some Not a few, not, oh yeah, that was true back then, 2,000 years ago when Christ was alive. That was true back then, but now we have so much more. No, what the Bible says, what Paul is saying, the word of God is saying, is that all, all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ himself. And when we don't get that, when we think that there might be some wisdom and knowledge that is extended outside of the periphery of Christ, that's when we get in trouble. That's when we stumble and that's when we fall. I found that from my own experience. How about you? This is Paul's key argument. Christ alone. Christ alone. And, you know, there was a time in history when, when that uh, didn't happen. It was the Reformation. And uh, before the Reformation came, uh, it w- the Reformation was a response to several things. But all of them related to the fact that it was Christ plus. Christ plus. So out of the Reformation, which included things like indulgences. You guys know what an indulgence is? An indulgence is is that you could pay a priest a certain fee to get your sins forgiven. So it's Christ 
and an indulgence. Christ and a, and a tip to the priest will get you a forgiven sin. That's the way it was. That's the way it was. Or it was the Bible plus something else. There is only one word of God, and that's the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. There is nothing that even comes close to the inspiration of the word of God, nothing. There are inspiring poems. There are inspiring other books, even religious books, but they don't come close to the authenticity and the, uh, uh, the uh, power and the authority and the th- several thousand years of testing as the word of God does, the Bible itself. And yet, Within this time frame, before the Reformation, it was the Bible plus the church, the Bible plus traditions, church rules and regulations, whatever it might be. It was the Bible plus you fill in the blank. And that's an important thing to do, fill in the blank, because we have the Bible plus lots of things now, right? We have the Bible plus personal experience right now. That's dangerous. When your personal experience comes up to the authority level of what the Bible says, that's when you're going to be in trouble. Because how much personal experience do you have to be able to stand up to the word of God, which is thousands of years old and has, has held the, the, the trust and the truth throughout thousands of years? How could that stand next to your personal experience over your few decades. Here we have over 3,000 years. Here we have maybe a decade, two, three, four, five. How could that happen? How could you know more than what God knows? You can't. And so it can't be the Bible plus anything. And then one of the other things was, was salvation through faith, but also works. So things that you do help you to gain your salvation and your approval with God. And that is never what the Bible has said. And, and so we need to look at the fact that this is the time frame of, of when God spoke some very cool things through the church. The first was sola scriptura, or scripture alone. It is only the Bible. This is what happened at the Reformation. The Reformation was a, a reforming of the church and the belief of God so that we can come to a clear and concise understanding of who God is and how to live with him. So the first is the Bible alone. There's nothing to add. You can't add anything to the Bible, the word of God. It is truly Truly, God breathed, as the Bible says, of itself. Living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Able to divide between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. This is the word of God. No other book, no other book on earth, no matter how intelligent the writer, can come up to that understanding. God breathed. God breathed. And then sola fide, which is by faith alone. It's not by indulgences. It's not by anything you might do, a work, an action. It is by faith alone. And then sola Christos, by Christ alone. Our faith, our walk with him, our life with him is only because of Christ. It is not because of Christ and some type of mediator. Christ is the mediator. That's what the Bible says. Christ is the mediator. The one and only mediator that we need between God and us is Christ, the living sacrifice who died on the cross for our sins. He is the mediator. And then by grace alone, sola gratia, 
By grace alone. It is by grace. It is not by works so that no man can boast. Ephesians 2. And the solo deo gloria to God's glory alone. We live, we breathe, we move, we do, we sing, we worship for God's glory alone and for no other reason. For no other reason. That's what it's about. So that's kind of where he's at as uh, uh, Paul is seeing that, that there is Christ plus something in, in, in the Colossians' lives in that city, in the other cities that he mentions as well. He's concerned about them as well, that it's Christ and something else. And, and, and so the crime itself is, is found in uh, verse 4 of Colossians 2. It says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, that no one would deceive you. No one would deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Those arguments uh, in the Greek talk about leading astray through false reasoning. Why is this important to us, you guys? That, that what we think, what we think is important, isn't it? Isn't what we think, doesn't that drive what we do? It does. It drives our emotional life. It drives our actions. It drives our goals and our future. So what we think is of utmost importance. And so when we are led astray through false reasoning, there's a great danger there. And Paul knows that there's a spiritual war taking place. Ephesians 6 says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is, this is our enemy. This is our enemy and he used arguments all the time. The very first time an argument was used against the truth of God was in the Garden of Eden when the devil came to Adam and Eve and said, you know what? There's a tree over there and you can't have any. And you know what? I think God doesn't love you because he didn't offer you that fruit. And he immediately caused Adam and Eve to question God's love for them. And that's how we came down to this, this, uh, this path that we have of, of dealing with sin in this world is because of that very thing. Because, of course, they decided they knew what was best in their own personal experience. They thought, you know what? We should probably have that fruit. Look at it. It looks fantastic. Let's eat it. And they ate it. And they found out that that was a lie and a deception. Here's Paul's closing argument. The first point of Paul's closing argument is this, now that we've kind of gone through the the history of, of where we're at in this book. The superiority of the witness. Superiority of the witness. In our scripture reading for today, in Colossians 2, verses 8 through 10, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. See to it, Paul is saying here. See to it, it's a command. Don't let this happen. Don't let this happen. Don't let captivity happen. And this word in the Greek describes being carried off as a prisoner of war. And that's exactly what we're in. We're in a a war of truth right now. That we would follow truth 
or we would follow the lies that are being perpetrated in this world and by, by the powers, uh, spiritual forces in this world. It is a direct assault on, uh, that Paul is making here on what is called the Colossian heresy. The Colossian heresy. There were many lies that were being purported within uh, the city. And uh, there were a few of them. One was Judaism. One was Judaism, is that you need to follow all the Jewish laws. And I'll tell you, as, as someone who, who is a Jew, that it is very easy to get caught up into the 613 laws of the Old Testament that would say, we need to follow these rules, these laws. Do you know anybody like this? Maybe you're somebody like this today, that you think you need to follow some rules in, in order for God to bless you, in order for God to love you and God to forgive you. The only problem with that is, how many rules do you need to follow? And can you follow all of them? Well, the answer is no, right? And so we cannot use that as a measurement. So Judaism doesn't work. Mysticism, religious experiences. I remember when I was a a teen and I was struggling with trying to find peace before I found the Lord. I got involved in transcendental meditation. And uh, it was an amazing experience for me in seeing an incredible lie just brought before me. And and I would just believe this lie. I was so gullible. I was so gullible believing this lie. I remember they said, well, you can bring some fruit and you can bring some flowers with you when you get oriented into transcendental meditation. And I, I didn't realize it, but you know where they put that fruit and those, uh, those flowers, they put it right in front of an image, an image. So I, I was placing my offering on the altar. When I did it, I had no idea. I didn't even know what was going on then. But that, that's what mysticism is all about. It's uh, uh, religious experiences that get you in touch with hidden insights. That's all of what transcendental meditation was, is finding these unseen things, these, these mysteries, these hidden insights. Then there was asceticism, which is abstaining from things of this world in order to gain things in the next. Or mystery cults that have secret wisdoms. Do you, know, do you know anybody who, you know, they have this secret way of, of living their life or, or a religion that has secret messages or secret, secret things that happen that only, only those that are a part of the initiated will know? And then there's Gnosticism, and that was one of the biggest things of, of the day that he was fighting against, Paul was fighting against, that all matter is evil, that Jesus uh, was a mere human who attained divinity, that, uh, um, that it denied that Jesus came in the flesh. I just want to tell you, all these things, they all come back to one thing, Jesus plus blank. That's what they all come back to. And these things depend on human tradition, human ideas, human thoughts. I thought I'd check with our, with our pastor in the Philippines about this, Kevin. But um, uh, Kevin, I, I asked him, you know, there's this word called syncretism. It means that it's uh, a belief in Christianity or, or any religion, actually, and you take in the local folklore. and you, So you're making kind of a, 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 a syncretic uh, religion that is more than just this and more than just this. And, he, and I asked him, you know, what things do you have to deal with? These, um, 
uh, these traditions, these human traditions, what do you have to deal with when you're presenting Christianity? He said superstitions, that superstitions were a big deal uh, for, for the people in his region. That Here you go, belief in tree elves was a big deal that he had to deal with and teach people that that's not true and it's not biblical. Or tribal cures and spells. These are things that were in the culture that were being challenged uh, by the word of God and he had to bring special teaching on. And, and so these human traditions, they come and we don't realize it, but when we come to Christ, we also come with our history, right? We come with a lot of things that we think, but that's what God's trying to do is, is break down what the lies are and set us free. That's what he said. He said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen. And, and then in this portion of scripture, uh, Paul says, you know, don't think about things, these things, rather than on Christ. Think about Christ. He is the one with all the truth. He has all truth and knowledge. Paul is focusing on the only true truth, and we should too. Comparing all these things, all these ideas, these worldly ideas, to the truth of the word of God. What do you bring into your, into your relationship with God that are things that might stand out as something that is not true in the word of God, but you still hold to them? Because we do, don't we? And the more we can see God get, uh, help get us rid of these things, the more free we become. We need to compare these things for, to what is true. In 1 Corinthians one twenty five, it says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God is so much smarter than us. Why would we ever want to try and figure out anything outside of his truth? Jesus said, I am the way. The truth, the life, that excludes everything. That word the is excluding everything. There are no other ways. He is the way. There are no other truths. He is the truth. There are no other ways to life. He is the way. He is the way. He has excluded all others. For because in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. All the fullness of deity. So, so this is the, the superior nature of our witness right now, is that all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Not divine attributes, divinity itself. In bodily form, in the form of flesh, lived God himself. Let that sink in to your mind and your heart. We have a superior witness that is speaking to us that there is only one truth, and that is Christ himself. And not only that, but he is not just fully God, not just godly attributes, but fully God, but he is also fully man. Colossians 1.22 says, but now he has reconciled you to by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Both Christ's deity and his humanity are things that traditions and worldly ideas fight against all the time. That's what he was dealing with. That's what we deal with today. 
did Christ really come? And okay, he came, so he was a good teacher. Fighting both of those lies. That's what Paul is doing. That's what we need to do each and every day. And then this fullness of deity in bodily form. Here, here uh, Paul is talking about the fullness of God, that, that he was completely full. And what did that fullness of God bring? Brought us into fullness, according to the scripture. Brought us into fullness. If you want to know what it is to live a life full of the love, the grace, the power, the peace of God, allow the fullness of of the truth of the word of God into your soul each and every day. And you will be full too. How many of you want fullness? I do. I do. And he is head over every power and authority. Ephesians 1 says, And God placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything. Revelation 17.14 says this, They will wage war against the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Christ, Jesus Christ. But the Lamb will triumph over them because he, have, he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He has authority over everything. This is the great battle at the end of history and he has authority over everything. And so he is the superior witness. The superior witness. Tozer says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's why Paul was spending so much time bringing this final closing argument to the Colossians so that they would not allow the lies that, that are throughout this world and maybe even residing in our heads and in our experience, not allow those things to influence us and bring us into a state where we are enslaved to these lies. Let's go into the next part. It's the superiority of his actions, of Christ's actions. Colossians 2, 11 and 12 says this, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith, in the working of God who raised him from the dead, this same resurrection, you guys, gave us resurrection life. Amen? What a wonderful thing this is. The issue was, again, is that it was Jesus plus something, plus circumcision, plus baptism, plus rules, plus the way you eat, plus whatever. Put it in. You have your own plus. Whatever it is, put it in there just so we can get it exposed to truth. Paul is saying that our circumcision here is not a work of man, but a work of the Spirit. It is our, in the Old Testament, it was your, your, your filthy flesh is, is taken off and thrown away. In the New Testament, in our understanding of circumcision, it is a spiritual taking off of this old flesh, this, this sinful nature that we all suffer from. Aren't you glad that we've been circumcised in Christ? Yeah. It is an amazing thing to know that God has set us free through this great circumcision. 
It's a circumcision of the heart. Romans 2 says this, a person is a Jew, uh, is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not the written code. It is not Christ plus circumcision or baptism or rules or regulation or the amount of work you do. It's none of those things. It is a circumcision of the heart. It is a spiritual thing that is done where our old self dies and our new self lives. And that's where he uses for this next illustration is, is in baptism as well, that, that we were baptized, we were buried with him. This is his second example here, the second part of the argument. The superiority of, of Christ's actions were that, that we are circumcised in the heart and that we are baptized with him. We die with him and then we raise to new life with him. Is that incredible, you guys, that the resurrection of Christ, the, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave raises us to, to eternal life now, not later. Now we walk in this truth. What a wonderful thing to know that. What a joyful thing it is. Ephesians 2 says this, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He raised us up. He raised us up. This is not a, a physical flesh circumcision or baptism. This is a baptism that happens in our souls. It is one that brings life to us. What are the superiority of the results? Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. By the cross. You know, God is loving, but it would be wrong to not know that God is also righteous and just. And here we see this, this righteousness, this justice being satisfied by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross so that we can have forgiveness of sins. It's nice to think that a God who loves can just forgive because he loves but he can't because he, has, he, he is fully God, which means that his justice needs to be satisfied. His righteousness needs to be satisfied. And so that's what happened at the cross, you guys. This is so awesome to know that at the cross, everything is satisfied. Everything is satisfied. That's what Paul is talking about here. And, and so this indictment, it was written up against a prisoner. That's what, that's what Paul's describing here. All the things wrong are written, uh, that you have done as sin are written on this document. How big would your document be? Mine would be pretty big. Might fill this room. All the sins that you've committed. And you might think to yourself, well, I'm a good person. 
Well, you do some good things, but then, you know, in the Ten Commandments, you've probably broken all of them at some point. And then there's 613 laws in the Old Testament. You've probably broken them at some point. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. And so we have all these sins written on this document. And this document, what Paul is saying here is that it is against us. It is against us. It's saying, Ira, you're a liar. And so you deserve to die. Ira, you have hated. And so you deserve to die. It is accusing us. You're a liar. It's accusing us. It is condemning us. And Needless to say, it is hostile to us. This document is the worst thing that can happen. And every one of us has this in the heavenly court. Every one of us has this document in our heavenly court. But he has taken it away, Paul says. Taken that document away and he nailed it to the cross. He took this accusing document that each one of us has and he nailed it to the cross. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God, righteous justice is satisfied because that document It wasn't just taken away. Oh, you're a nice person. I love you. I'm just going to take this away. No, it was nailed to the cross, you guys. It was nailed to the cross. Your document, your indictment, my indictment was nailed to the cross. And what happened? It disarmed the powers and authorities the powers of their lies that bring death to us. So here are the powers and authorities, these spiritual uh, liars that are out there. And, and, and Christ, by nailing it to the cross, shut them up for eternity. Because they could not say anymore, Chris, you're a sinner. You need to go to hell. God, send her to hell. They couldn't do that anymore. Amen? It's nailed to the cross. It's nailed to the cross. They can't make those accusations anymore. What a great final argument, huh? 